Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. We as a nation put a high value on freedom. In fact, we hold freedom as probably one of the greatest values and gifts that we have as a nation. Our nation began with freedom. We fought a war of independence to break off the yoke of suppression by the British. Subsequent years, we fought other wars, world wars, not just for our freedom, but for the freedom of other nations around the world. We hold ourselves, the United States, as a great example of freedom, of rights, and we offer that to other nations who ask or seek to have freedom that we enjoy. If you read some of the writings of our founding fathers, say like Thomas Jefferson, they value freedom very much. Jefferson once wrote, I have the right to pursue happiness the way I see fit. Well, that's so true. And they were consumed with freedom. And yet, at the same time, I would argue our nation is a very litigious nation. We are preoccupied with rights, probably now more than ever. You know, the right to marry, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, the right to life, you know, the right to die, state-assisted suicide. Well, now you see some of the presidential candidates talking about amending the Fourth Amendment. Well, we are preoccupied with rights, especially when those rights are violated by others or when the government violates our rights. And so, if you look again at our founding fathers, you see that the founding fathers were preoccupied with that, making sure that our rights were always protected. Now, stay with the founding fathers. If you look at them, many of them were lawyers. And you say to yourself, well, maybe that was good. You know, we needed lawyers to found this country, to write a constitution, a bill of rights, you know, to set up our government and things like that. Well, yeah, probably. They were the right people at the right time to build our country. And yet, I would say as a nation, we would have this love-hate relationship with laws. There's some laws we just absolutely love, and there's other laws that we positively hate. I'll give you some examples. One law that I'm sure many people here in Wisconsin, especially southeastern Wisconsin, love is the new law that changed the speed limit on Highway 43, which is the main interstate in southeast Wisconsin. The new speed limit is 70 miles an hour, which many people were going for years and years. Well, now it's legal to go that. Sure, I'm sure many people enjoy that. And yet there are also laws that people really hate. For example, the tax code laws and how complicated and convoluted it has become for many, many years. For example, when I was 16 years old and I got my first job, I pretty much could fill out my own tax returns. Now, many years later, I can't even do it. It's so complicated, I need an accountant to help 
fill out my own taxes. So we hate some laws, but we love others. Now, that's a great segue into all three scripture readings for this weekend. They speak to us about laws, in this case, biblical laws, laws that God himself gave us. Go to the first reading from Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy, the word itself means or comes from two Greek words, deuteros and nomos. Deuteros means second, nomos means law. So the Deuteronomy is the second law. The first law is given to us in Exodus. So we can say Deuteronomy is an elaboration of the first law. It goes into greater detail. Now notice what Moses says. Now Israel, hear the statutes and decrees which I am teaching you to observe, that you may live and may enter in and take possession of the land which the Lord the God of your fathers is giving you. In your observance of the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I enjoin upon you, you shall not add to what I command you or subtract from it. Well, what do the Israelites do? They do just that. They do what they're told not to do. So it begs the question, why does God give us these laws? Why does he give us as well as the Israelite all these laws? Is God some monarch sitting somewhere in the universe imposing order upon us? No, not at all. The reason why God gives us laws is because those laws are an expression of his will. If we follow those laws, then we're following God's will. Then we'll always be in right relationship with him, righteousness. I would also argue, whenever we reverence something, we always surround whatever it is with laws to protect it. Give you a great example. You leave church on Sunday and you go out into the street and you encounter a stop sign. Well, if it's red, you stop. If it's green, you go. You proceed through the intersection. Next, you go to the grocery store for breakfast. You fill up your cart. Now, you just don't take that cart out to your car and not pay for it. No, you pay for all those groceries because if you didn't, it would be stealing. Taxes. We all pay taxes, whether it's income taxes or property taxes. We know where the money goes for infrastructure, roads, schools. It goes to the military, to the government. And so we do all those things. Now, we follow those civil laws because those laws shape us. All the people who follow those civil laws are shaped into good behavior. In fact, I would say that people that follow civil laws tend to live civil lives. We all get along with each other. Why? Because we follow the law. We're not enemies of the state or John Dillinger. No, we all follow the law and therefore we live civil lives. But I would also argue laws protect the integrity of anything that we surround it with. I'll give you another example. Look at sports. Say baseball. Baseball, the season is coming to an end. The playoffs are starting. Well, any lover of baseball knows the rules of baseball intimately and doing so enjoys the game. Any lover of baseball can't stand someone who has an attitude of anything goes. You know, you give the kids a few bats, a few balls, and then you say to them, go out in the field and play. Well, if the kids don't know the rules of baseball, don't know how to play it, well, then it's just chaos, and the kids aren't going to have any fun. But instead, the laws of baseball are there to protect the integrity of the game so that everyone can enjoy it, whether you're a player or a spectator. 
And so God gives us laws to protect the integrity of our relationship with God. So we are all shaped by those laws and so that we can always be and remain God's holy people. And so God gives us those laws for those two reasons, so that they shape us, so that we are always doing God's will, and to protect the integrity of our relationship with God. Now, with that in mind, go to the second reading from James. James builds upon this. He says, Humbly welcome the word that has been planted in you and is able to save your souls. Well, the word he's referring to is the law. Therefore, the law is written on our hearts. It's part of our identity. It forms us, part of our essence, our makeup. In fact, I would argue, if we disregard or ignore the law, we essentially are ignoring our own identity. We are no longer the person that we were created and intended to be. I think Jeremiah puts it the best. Jeremiah 31.31, in which God says to Jeremiah, I will place my law within you and write it on your heart. See, the law is now written on our heart. It's part of who we are. I think one of the problems with the Israelites is the law was written on stone tablets. Therefore, they could easily ignore it, disregard it. But we can't. If it's something that's written in our heart, there's no way we can ignore it. If we are to ignore it, we ignore the very identity of who we are. And we can't do that. Instead, it's written on our heart so that it shapes us, so that we become, we are formed by that law. It becomes our part of our essence and who we are as God's holy people. Now, with that in mind, go into the gospel. The gospel for this weekend builds upon the first and the second reading. Here, Jesus experiences or is a witness to the law. But he's a witness, I would say, to the dark side of the law. How the law has been corrupted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's been corrupted because they've added all these fussy, stupid little laws, man-made laws. And to compound their problem, the Israelites are following their own man-made laws and ignoring the laws that God had given them. We would say, as an analogy, the Israelites are missing the forest and instead focusing all their attention on one specific tree. Now, they add all these purification laws as they ask Jesus, you know, why are your disciples not washing their hands before they eat? Well, Jesus calls them hypocrites, and for a reason. You know, they've created all these man-made laws and ignored the laws of God himself. Therefore, they give lip service to God when they pray or when they worship. And I would argue, see, when we add more and more laws, we tend to suffocate ourselves. In fact, we lose our own freedom. I'll give you a great example of this. When I was growing up in Milwaukee as a kid, in the neighborhood, we always had pickup games, especially football. And we always played football in the street. That was primarily because many of us lived in houses that didn't have big enough backyards or front yards. So we always played in the street. It was most convenient. Now, when we got together, we had to establish more rules, more rules beyond the NFL or college football. Essentially, what we said to each other, well, your end zone is that black Chevrolet and our end zone is that white Ford. Okay, well, on this side of the street, there's more cars. So the out of bounds will be the cars. The other side of the street will be the curb because there's not many cars parked there. Okay. Now, when you kick a field goal, you have to kick it between those two branches. 
And when we kick a field goal, we'll kick it between those two branches. And when we kick it, if we make it, we'll have an extra point. Why? Because our branches are narrower than your branches. Well, for crying out loud, this was just crazy. You know, it got to the point where whenever we wanted to have a pickup game, we needed two lawyers and six referees in order to establish the rules in order to begin to play. Well, it's just crazy. And worse yet, we no longer had any fun. Well, I think this is what Jesus is getting at here, what the Pharisees and the Sadducees have done. Jesus is not indifferent to the law. What he's trying to do is an act of clarification. What he's trying to teach the Israelites and us, the two greatest commandments, laws. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul. Love one another as yourself. See, that's the essence of all the laws. See, those two laws, those two commandments give legitimacy to everything in our church, our traditions, our doctrine, our customs, everything. And that's what we always have to remember. Now, one other thing, one last thing to think about. At the very end, Jesus talks about the interior disposition, that when the law is written on our hearts, from the hearts will, our, will determine our actions. And from the very depths of our hearts will come either virtue or evil. And Jesus highlights that. You know, he describes some of the evil. Evil thoughts, gossip, deceit, malice. But I would also argue from a proper disposition of the heart can come charity and compassion, forgiveness and patience, virtuous life. So it's important for us to recognize the scripture readings for this weekend. They all focus on the great gift of God's laws. These laws help inform us to be God's chosen people, to always be in a right relationship with God, and they protect the integrity of that relationship. What must we do? Recognize that it's part of our identity. It is written on our hearts. It is part of our essence, and it helps us to form the proper disposition in our heart. So it's always the virtuous disposition. Then our actions will always manifest that disposition in a virtuous life. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.